Thank you for tuning in to Propel Church. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to our podcast, we're so glad that you chose to join us today. We believe that God has great things in store for you and hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this message. Good. Well, hey, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting before, my name is Pastor Nick Newman. And on behalf of myself, my wife, and the rest of the team here, we are so honored that you chose to be with us for today's worship experience. If you're new, be sure to stop by that new here lounge. We'd love to connect with you. But I also want to give a special shout out. See, we're part of a church network that is all around the world. And this morning, uh, we are being joined by Purpose Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Church, could you say good morning to Purpose Church? Come on. Pastor Blue, such an honor to stand in the gap for you this week and excited for you guys to join us in this Trust Fall series. If you weren't with us last week, we talked about what it looks like to trust God. And I did a live demonstration where I did a Trust Fall. I'm not going to do that again, right? Because Pastor Matt's not in the room this morning and I don't trust that many people to catch me. And so... But we talked about how, you know, when you and I look at doing a trust fall, we need to trust the person who's going to catch us. And when it comes to our relationship with God, last week we talked about how God is a provider. And the reason why we can trust him in the area of our finances is based on what we read in the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus would say, hey, look at the birds of the sky and the lilies of the field. If God took care of them, how much more valuable are you than those things? And that we can trust God as our provider. And some of you took incredible next steps to begin trusting God in the area of your finances. This week, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about a God who has unlimited supply. Now, that's not the world we currently live in. I am uh, currently in the market for a used car because my truck, man, it just isn't the gas mileage. It's just not great, right? It puts a hurting on the bank account. And so when I was looking for a used car the other day, I drove up to a dealership and uh, I'll tell you, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but car salesmen, they're bold these days, right? Because they know they have all the power. And so we were having a conversation and when you used to drive by a car lot, you would see the entire lot was full. It was full of new and used vehicles. And now when you drive by a car lot, it's like cars are social distancing, right? Like there's plenty of space in between them There's gaps all through the thing that can't keep inventory in stock because there is a supply issue. I think sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God, we forget that we serve a God who exists outside the circumstances and situations of our world. So we think if the world has a supply issue, then God has a supply issue. We think because the world is in panic and chaos. God must be in panic and chaos, but we serve a God who exists outside of those things. We serve a God who does not have a supply chain issue. In fact, he has an unlimited supply. And to unpack that idea with you today, I want to take you to a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be available on the screen beside me. But there's also great resources like the YouVersion Bible app that you can download as well that would give you access to God's Word wherever you are. Here's what it says in the beginning stages of Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. 
Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. When we get into the beginning stages of the story that we're unpacking in Luke chapter 8, we see there is a father figure named Jairus. Now, Jairus is coming to Jesus and he's needing Jesus to come heal his daughter because he has a 12-year-old daughter who is dying. So when we read the text, it could be easy for us to not infer the proper emotional response that's happening. Jairus is not coming to Jesus and going, hey man, you know, if you have enough time today, could you swing by the house? I got a kid, she's dying and would love for you to stop by and heal her, right? That's not how you approach a miracle worker that you need to step in on your behalf. Jairus has a situation and he's coming to Jesus. He's falling at his feet and he's pleading with him. He's going, Jesus, I've got a 12-year-old daughter who's dying and I need you to come heal her. I've heard you're a great physician. I've heard you're a great healer. Can you come to my house immediately? And Jesus goes, yeah, I can do that because he's a healer. This is why he's here. He's in the miracle working business. This is what he signed up for. And so Jairus grabs Jesus and they begin on a journey, but they have to press through some crowds because these crowds of people have gathered to see Jesus on this day. And I can imagine as Jesus is walking through the crowds, Jairus is probably getting a little bit annoyed because he has a sense of urgency that Jesus just doesn't have. I taught this to our leaders the other week that Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. He had plenty of stuff to do, but he would walk hand in hand with people, never rushing the moment because he realizes that he's in the people business, that people are the reason why he's here. So Jairus is walking to get Jesus to his daughter who is dying, and he turns around and he notices that Jesus has stopped. And he probably begins to get frustrated because he knows how important, he knows how urgent the situation is. And he looks and Jesus is going, yo, who touched me? Somebody touched me. Peter speaks up and he's like, Jesus, there's a whole crowd. I'm sure. I mean, people are probably bumping into you. Like there's a crowd of people. Did you expect for nobody to touch you? Come on. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I felt healing power come out from me. Something was released. Who touched me? 
because they just had a miracle happen in their life. And I don't want to skip past this moment. And oftentimes when we read the text, what we do is we preach this passage of Scripture as a woman who has had an issue with blood. And if you could just touch the hem of the robe of Jesus, then you can be healed. You need to press through the crowds to get to Jesus. And none of that teaching is wrong. But I just thought as we were in this Trustfall series, why in the world would God orchestrate this moment? For Jairus, who has a really big need, Jairus who needs his daughter to be healed, why would God orchestrate this moment for Jesus to heal, not a blind person or a crippled person, but he just happens to heal somebody else's daughter? Why would God orchestrate this moment for you and I to see where there's somebody who needs God to do something in their life, but he doesn't yet do it for them, he does it for somebody else. I think there's gonna be moments in your life and in mine where we see God do for someone what we need him to do for us. And how you respond in those moments matters. This Trustfall series, when we talk about having a God who has unlimited supply, I think one of the easiest things for us to get stuck in in our relationship with God is we begin to see God do something in somebody else's life, and we see it in that moment as, well, if he did it for them, he's, he can't do it for me. I think the enemy uses moments like that to try and convince us that God must love them more or they must be doing more to earn God's favor, love, and affection. Jairus is probably like, listen, I got to you first. I, I was there first. I was there in the beginning. I needed you to come do a miracle for me, but, but you stopped and you healed somebody else's daughter. Here's what I think is really important for us to know. Don't let the enemy convince you that God has limited power. We serve a God who has unlimited supply. We serve a God who doesn't have just enough in the tank to do one miracle. He's got enough in the tank to do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus, when he feels this releasing of power, it's not that his power, I heard a pastor teach this one time, it's bad theology to think Jesus lost power in this moment. He doesn't lose power. Because here's what Jesus knows, everything that's released can be recovered if you stay connected to the source. So Jesus spends time with the Father He spends time in the secret place where nobody sees what he does. He just goes to be with the Lord. And then out of the overflow of that, he'll do miracle after miracle after miracle. And in this moment, it would be easy for Jairus to get stuck in the place where he thinks, oh, he healed somebody else's daughter. I guess that's it for today. But we don't serve a God who has limited supply. There's going to be moments in your life where you've been praying for and believing for God to do something amazing. Maybe, maybe you were praying for a loved one who is sick and you haven't seen God heal your loved one, but you saw him heal somebody else's. Or you've been praying for that new job because you need to get out of the toxic work environment that you're in and it seems like everybody else is getting a new job, but you can't. Or you've been praying for a new house or a new car and everybody seems to be getting it or you're scrolling through Facebook and you see, God, you provided land for that church and 
you ain't provided any for us yet. Like, I'm just, I'm, can I be honest with you for a second? Like, I think there's times in our life where you're going to have this moment where you think for some reason God has a limited supply. And if we minimize God to the convenience of our own mind, you will miss out on his power. God's not bound by human limitations or restrictions. He's got unlimited supply. He's got enough land for us and for them. He's got enough supply. He's got enough jobs. He knows exactly what you need. Most of us just have an issue with God's timing. That's not this message. I'm going to teach that to you in week four. Don't be convinced that God has limited supply. He has unlimited power. I love what 1 Chronicles chapter 29 Verse 11 says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. He has all power. He is bigger and greater than anything you will face or come up against. And I think what God is doing for us in Luke chapter 8 is he gave us a moment where we could see God do for them what we need him to do for us. But the reason why he does that is because it was meant to be a faith activator, not a faith destroyer. Because if he did it for them, he can do it again. I've shared with you in the past that Tori and I have been on a journey now for six years. We've been trying to have a, a baby. And, uh, and, you know, in the latest uh, updates of that process, we have both gone to doctors, and everything's good on my end, everything's good on her end, and we are practicing often. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? We're doing our part. But the reality is something's not working in the in-between. And there's times in our lives where we get to see other people make announcement that they are having a baby. And, and there's a temptation in those moments. We can either be frustrated that God hasn't done it for us yet, or we can say, hey, God, if you did it for them, you can do it for us. We can stand on the promises of God to know that if he did it before, he can do it again because he has an unlimited supply. What if instead of you looking at people in your life as things that are standing in the way of your breakthrough, what if you saw it as confirmation that God could actually do it? They're not standing in your way. God is giving you what's necessary to build your faith for the journey. It's no coincidence in the text. You can go back and read it for yourself. There's very distinct details that the text gives us. When Jesus comes onto the scene, we find that there is a daughter who is about 12 years old that's dying. And it just so happens that there's a woman who has an issue with blood for how long? About 12 years. Yeah. Oh, you think it's a coincidence? God doesn't do coincidences. He's divine and strategic. Oh, when we get to the scene, we see that Jairus has a daughter that needs to be healed. But when the text first introduces this woman, it refers to her as just that, a woman. And yet when Jesus refers to her, he doesn't call her woman, like he does in a lot of other places in scripture, he calls her daughter. Why? Because Jairus needed something that was going to build his faith for the journey. If he did it for them, he can do it again. This is what trusting God looks like. 
It looks like believing we serve a God who has unlimited supply, unlimited power, unlimited capacity if we just continue to press on and trust him for the journey. Other people are not standing in the way of your breakthrough. God has enough for you and for them at the same time. So we keep reading in the text, Jairus gets the worst news of all in the midst of this situation. It says this, Luke chapter 8, continuing in verse 49. It says, while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. This has to be an incredibly difficult moment because not only is he seeing God do for her what he really needs him to do in her life and his life, but now he feels like all hope is gone because he's just got news that his daughter has died. So the tendency would be to think, well, all hope is gone. God has limited power. He has limited supply. And if Jesus would have just hurried up and if he wouldn't have stopped, then we could have probably made it and everything would have been fine. But because he took time with them, because he blessed her, because he did that miracle, everything is over now. There's no hope in the situation. But Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. She will be healed. The next thing I have for you this morning is this. When you can't see what God says, hold on to what he said. This is a theme all throughout scripture where the promise you're given doesn't line up with the reality you see. You see this in Abraham's life where he is promised to give birth to a son, to carry on his lineage. He is going to become a father of many nations. There's only one problem. He is old, like cobwebs down, like old. You know what I'm saying? Like his wife is old. He's old. Everything humanistically would look like it's over and done with. But here's the thing about God. God's starting point is impossible. What is humanly impossible is possible with God. So when we look at our situations and we look at our circumstances and we think to ourselves from the perspective of this world, there's no hope. We're never going to make it. The good news is when impossibilities begin, God's possibility starts. When you allow the spirit of God to step into your life, what you're doing is you're inviting miracles in. But the journey of our life is a journey of faith. If you always saw it, you wouldn't need faith for the journey. So when you can't see what God says, you hold on to what he said. Jairus has a whole group of people who are coming to him and they're saying, your daughter is dead. Those are facts. And sometimes you're gonna have facts that conflict with your faith. There's gonna come moments where you're hanging on to something and 
You, you're believing God that, yeah, God, I know you can heal her. I know you can heal her. But God, I know you can heal me too. But I just got this diagnosis from my doctor and they said it's, it's terminal. Well, did God give you a promise? Because if he gave you a promise, you might not see what he says currently, but you can hold on to what he said because we serve a God who's faithful to finish what he starts. For some of you, you've got a situation with a loved one, maybe a son or a daughter who has walked away from the faith and you feel completely hopeless. Well, the good news of Luke chapter 15 is that prodigals come home. You might not see it, but God said it. And therefore, you can hold on to what he says. There's going to come moments in our life where what we see doesn't line up with what God said. And that's where we have faith for the journey. And the good news is Jairus would go on to his house. I'm going to read you the end of the story in just a second. But that entire journey that Jairus takes, Jesus is walking with him. And I'm sure there were people in the background who were saying, you know what? Your daughter's dead. Why are we bothering Jesus? Why are we doing this? But the only thing Jairus can hold on to is the fact that Jesus said she was going to be healed. And Jesus said she was going to live. And there's going to be moments in your life when you're trusting God that the only thing that keeps your feet moving is what God said was going to happen. There's been times in the life of our church where God gave me a big dream years ago for it. And I'll tell you, the dream he's given me rarely lines up with the reality I see. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. If you could see it all, you probably wouldn't even step into half of what God called you to. But when you walk in faith and you see God do the impossible, it builds your faith for whatever that next miracle is that you need. When you can't see what God says, you hold on to what he said. And then we keep reading last part of our text for the morning. Luke chapter 8, verse 51. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. This is just a side note for you. Um, there are going to be times, Jesus has a lot of disciples. He's got at least 12. We know there's more than that. There's 40, 70, 120. There's a lot of people. In fact, in the next chapter of Luke, Jesus is actually going to deploy them in twos to go out and do ministry on his behalf. So it's not like these guys are uh, unqualified to be in the presence of this miracle. I think one of the reasons why Jesus only brought a few people into the house is because there's some areas of your life where you're believing in big faith for that not everybody in your friend group has the faith for. You got to be intentional with who you let into the house because if they don't have the faith to believe God for the impossible, they'll try and rationalize what God wants to do a miracle in. So he brings Peter, James, and John into the house of the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. Because again, they think this little girl is dead. But he says, stop weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowds laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Again, the facts said something different. But then Jesus took her by the hand and said with a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. And she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told her, told them to give her something to eat. 
Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. In our text, this has been a big journey. We read this. This is like 18 verses, right? It's not a very long story. But think about this from the very beginning. Jairus is coming to Jesus pleading for the healing of his daughter. There's a brief interruption in the story, but it's not an interruption at all. It's actually divine orchestration because this woman gets healed, but she happens to be somebody else's daughter who's been struggling for 12 years, and it builds his faith for the journey. The facts say that she's dead. They get to the house. Everybody's weeping because they see the lifeless body of their daughter, but Jesus is a promise fulfiller. He's a miracle worker. And when he speaks into that moment, life re-enters her lungs. And at that point, this story doesn't just build the faith of Jairus, but it builds the faith of everybody who was involved because they knew that this little girl who was once dead was now alive to foreshadow what Jesus would do later on, that he was going to die and then be resurrected again. And when those things happen, what does it do? It just builds your faith. So when they hear about the cross later on and they hear that Jesus is going to die and then he's going to come back to life, they would have been tempted before this moment to say, well, that's impossible. But now they're going, I don't even know what's possible anymore. Like he did it for her, I'm sure. I'm sure if he could do it then, he can do it again. And it just keeps building their faith. And I came to really encourage somebody this morning because I'm sure that you've got a situation or a circumstance that seems pretty hopeless. And the last thing I have for you today is that God is still breathing life into dead things. He's still breathing life into dead things. For some of you, the dead things in your life look like relationships. And can I just encourage you with something for a moment? If you are in a dead marriage right now, God is still in the business of breathing life into dead things. I know you might not be able to see it. I know the facts say that 50% of marriages end in divorce. I know you may have generational bondages that divorce runs rampant in your family and you've been through one failed marriage before and the enemy would be tempted to convince you that if that's what happened in the past, then that's what's gonna happen in the future. God's still breathing life into dead things. For some of you, you feel so hopeless and depressed. You've got all this depression and anxiety and you don't even know why you're here anymore and you don't feel like your life is worth it and you you feel like, man, maybe everybody on the outside thinks you're doing fine, but on the inside, you feel completely numb and dead. Hey, here's the good news. God is still breathing life into dead things. For some of you, the dead things are not just situations and circumstances or relationships. For some of you, there's dreams that God has given you that you feel like are dead. Maybe the pandemic took it out. Maybe you just don't have enough wind in your sails anymore. The good news is God is still breathing life into dead things. But there's going to be times on the journey where you don't see it. There's going to be times on the journey where you don't feel it. 
But just like God did, this is God's playbook. He breathes life into things. From the very beginning of Genesis, he takes dirt with Adam and he breathes life into it. God is still doing that today. He's still taking something that seems useless and worthless and he's giving it purpose and meaning. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you are currently experiencing. I don't know what area in your life you currently have a supply chain issue, but here's what I do know. I came to encourage somebody today that we serve a God who has unlimited supply. We serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a God who is all-knowing, who is able to do miracles on your behalf. Whether it's in the area of relationships, whether it's with hard circumstances or situations, no matter what you're going through or experiencing, we serve a God who is a God of breakthrough. So for some of us in the room today, the next step is really simple. It's to pray a prayer to trust God with that tough situation and circumstance that you've got. I know it looks humanly impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So for just a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed around the room today, maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I've got a situation in my life that seems impossible, that I need some faith for the journey. I need to believe that God has an unlimited supply. If that's you in the room today, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I need to surrender and just trust Jesus with my circumstance and situation. Come on. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray over you. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. And I believe that today is a day where we trust fall into your arms, where we believe you for the impossible, where we believe you for breakthroughs and miracles like never before. God, we are asking that you would speak into our lives in a way that changes us from the inside out. May we never be the same because we saw your miracle working power on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. There's some of you here today as well that your next step is not just to pray a prayer to trust God with a big situation. The next step for you is to surrender and trust God with the control of your life. This is what we call salvation. It's where we accept the fact that Jesus Christ came and he died on our behalf, that his death was the full payment for our sin. And when he was on the cross and he died and declared, it is finished, that our sin was completely paid for. And if we believe and trust in him, our debt of sin is removed from our life. And now we get to begin a fresh journey, a fresh start and experience all that God has planned for us. If you're here today and need to make that decision, would you just lift your hand and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody prays alone, we all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's message at Propel Church. 
We pray that God spoke to you powerfully. And if you made any kind of decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or recommit your life to Jesus, or maybe you just want to share something that God spoke to you through today's message, do us a favor and send us an email to amen at propel.church. And if God is using this ministry to impact your life and you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do so over at propel.church slash give. We pray God's blessing and favor over your life and believe that the best days have yet to come.